Thank you, ladies. Heavenly Father, as we come to the preaching of your word, we're grateful for the peace that we have in you. I thank you for the cross of Calvary, and I pray that you'd bless the preaching of the message today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to preach this morning on the subject, the miracles of the crucifixion. The miracles of the crucifixion recorded in Matthew chapter 27 are four of them. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is at the very center of the redemption of man from sin and back to God. The crucifixion is the pinnacle of the word of God. It is the proof of God's word and the proof of God's love to man. It is the power of God on display in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The crucifixion of Christ displayed the compassion of Christ like nothing else the world had ever seen. At the same time, the crucifixion exposed the sin and depravity like nothing else. There are many aspects to the crucifixion of Christ. It is more than a story that lasted for just a day or even a few days. You see, the plan of God was ordained before the foundation of the world. The plot of Satan to spoil God's plan began the day that he rebelled and was cast from heaven and sentenced to an eternity in hell. The purpose of God's redemption of man is revealed through the ages of time in the many types and figures and pictures that we read about through the Old Testament days of the Jews and that Old Testament economy. The story of the crucifixion has many events within it and around it. We could study about the Jewish council that gathered against the Lord Jesus. We read about the capture of Christ. We can study the cowardice of the denial of Peter. We could read about the compromise of Pilate, the conscience of Judas, the corruption of Herod's trial, the choice that was placed by Pilate before the people, the condemnation of the people to crucify Christ. There's the journey up Calvary's hill. There are the events that took place during the hours of the crucifixion. There are the miracles that took place on the day of Calvary's crucifixion. There are the sayings of Christ from Calvary. The announcement of Calvary when Jesus declared, It is finished. And then the borrowed tomb. Today I want to talk about the four amazing, unexplainable miracles that took place at the time of the crucifixion. Matthew is the only gospel writer that records all four of these miracles. It is not surprising that the event that would prove not only the person of Christ, but the power of Christ would be accompanied by supernatural miracles that took place. Now, I want to say death by crucifixion was not uncommon in this day. That's uncommon for us. But in this day in which it took place, death by crucifixion was not an uncommon way to crucify or to take the life of a criminal. 
But the God of nature made this day very uncommon by the changes in nature that took place to get not only the attention of the people who were there, but still arrest the attention of the Bible reader today. The writer of the late 1600s, Matthew Henry, calls these miracles the frowns of heaven upon the earth for their injuries and indignities from men that were heaped upon our Lord. It should be noted that the birth of Christ was accompanied by supernatural events that took place in nature such as the angel, the star, the wise men. And so it is no surprise when we come to the crucifixion to find it accompanied by miraculous events that took place in nature. First of all, I call your attention to the darkness that took place in the day. Matthew 27, verse number 45, the Bible says, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. Now in this day, the day of the writing, the sixth hour was not 6 a.m., but the sixth hour was midday or would be our noon time. So in the midst of the day, are you with me this morning? From the noon hour until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the darkness came at the brightest time of the day. Now some have tried to explain it away saying it was an eclipse. But it was impossible to be an eclipse for several reasons. First of all, it is impossible that it was an eclipse in that it lasted three hours. Those that would try to ignore or dismiss this darkness could not use the reason of an eclipse to make darkness come on the earth for that length or space of time. The Bible says in Luke 23, verse number 45, that the sun was darkened. I say to you this morning that the darkness that took place on the day of crucifixion, the day that Christ died to pay for your sins and mine, was accompanied by a miracle and attention getting a sobering darkness that fell. The reason this can't be explained as an eclipse also would, uh, would cause us to uh, look at the fact of the time of year. You see, this was the Passover season. The Passover season was always associated with a full moon. No eclipse can even happen at the time of a full moon. Let's just go ahead and accept the God of creation is the God of nature and is in control and was saying to the world, my son is being crucified for your sins. It's interesting as you read the scripture, God displayed his power in the midst of the sun by bringing the darkness. In the days of Saul of Tarshish conversion, he was on the Damascus road in the midst of a day when a bright light shined from heaven and that bright light was brighter than the sun that did shine. 
Let's go ahead and understand this morning and it will encourage you when you look at the evil of this world to be reminded that our God is in control of all things. It's interesting to note that God can help us in the darkness of night. He can help us in the brightness of the day. I'm glad that in the stormy winds and waters, in the darkness of night or in the brightness of day, my God is able. You see, the only explanation for the darkness that fell on the day of, of, the, uh, uh, of the crucifixion is that the God of creation controls creation. And the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that God made everything in this world and he made it for his pleasure. It's interesting to note that this darkness was not just a local event but it was all over the land. Matthew 27, 45, there was darkness all over the land. Luke chapter 23, verse 44, the Bible says, there was a darkness over all the earth, just as the flood in the days of Noah covered the earth, darkness covered the earth on the day of Christ's crucifixion. Now, what would be the purpose of this darkness that would come? In addition to getting our attention, darkness is typically associated, as you read the scripture, with judgment. In the book of Genesis, Abraham is making an offering in regards to a covenant. And the Bible says in Genesis 15, 12, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. Horror and darkness are associated together, which gives darkness a connotation of judgment. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 10, verse number 21, when Pharaoh had refused to let the children of Israel go from the land of Egypt that God told Moses, stretch out thine hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Now you and I, we, we don't experience darkness a lot living in town or in a city unless you do live out in the country. Uh, my dad said that growing up in southeast Kentucky, I was used to getting dark when it was time to go to sleep. He said, I moved to Dayton as a young man. He said, when it would get dark up there, they'd turn the lights on. They didn't know you're supposed to go to sleep at night. He said, it never got dark. It took me a long time to adjust and go to sleep with the light on. But if you've ever experienced total darkness, black darkness, that's what the Bible is describing. And when you go through the Bible, judgment was associated with black darkness. First uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse number 9, the Bible says, He will keep the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. Not much you can do in the darkness. Amos, the prophet, said, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness, speaking of judgment, and not 
light. Matthew 25, verse number 30, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jude spoke of darkness when he said, To whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? So the darkness that fell at the day of crucifixion from noon until 3 o'clock would also represent the punishment which Christ was taking for the sinner. For you see, all of the sins of mankind were placed on Jesus on the day of crucifixion. By the way, the darkness could have also been a covering for Christ. For you see, as he hung between heaven and earth, the soldiers, they mocked him. They pulled what clothes he had off to shame him because they said he was an imposter. And perhaps the darkness fell as the father covered the nakedness of his son. It could have also been time when God said, lights out, it's time for the mocking to stop. The darkness, interesting miracle that took place on the crucifixion. Then there was the dividing of the temple veil, the dividing of the temple veil. If you went to the temple in those days, there was an outer court that would be represented by where you're seated now. And then there was a holy place that had specific pieces of furniture in it. That would be represented by the platform that I'm standing on now. But then there was the holy of holies or the holiest place that was even further in the tabernacle. Now you could not see into the holy of holies because there was a curtain that covered that from one side to the other. In fact, no man could go into the holy of holies. If you went into the holy of holies and you were not the high priest, uh, you would die because God did not allow man uh, to come into his presence that was represented there uh, by the uh, pillar of cloud and by the presence of God that was over that holiest place. So you understand up to that time in the temple, uh, the veil was there. Now just outside the veil, uh, there was the altar of incense. The altar of incense was a place uh, where the high priest, and this day it would be Caiaphas, uh, the high priest would go and he would burn incense, sweet-smelling savor, to the Lord. I don't have time to go through all of the pieces of the furniture uh, from the uh, altar where the flesh was burned to the laver uh, here to the place where the incense. Now the incense represent the prayers of the saints today. You say, do we burn incense today? When you get on your knees and you talk to the Father, you're sending a, a sweet incense to the Father. That's what that represented. Caiaphas was here and perhaps he was one of the 300 priests that was on duty that day and was going through the rituals uh, that they went through every single day uh, to offer incense. Now you understand there was only one time a year that they were going to the Holy of Holies, but every day they would come uh, to this altar of incense. The Bible tells us a very interesting thing takes place when Jesus dies on the cross, the veil that separates the holy place from this place was torn from the top to the bottom. 
The darkness was a public declaration that the Father is not only watching but in control. The veil in the temple was a private message. And you understand the priesthood had been corrupted. Caiaphas was not a righteous man. He's a part of those that are going to crucify the Savior. He's a part of the rejection. The rejection, you see, the political crowd of that day had joined the so-called spiritual crowd of that day and together they would crucify the Savior. But God says to Caiaphas and that group of wicked priests that had sold out that had sold out, that had rejected faith in Christ, that had accepted the accusation that Jesus was an imposter, is standing when all of a sudden the veil is open from top to bottom. I think it's interesting that it is not torn from bottom to top. It is said that it would take the strength of 300 priests to even lift the veil because of its weight. By the way, the veil rending could have easily been a factor in the conversion of many priests after Pentecost because the Bible says in Acts 6 and verse number 7, a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. God said, let me just give a personal testimony of who this is you're about to crucify. That is the express image of the Father. That is God in the flesh. That is my Son, Jesus. Darkness is on the outside. The veil in the temple has been rent on the inside. Matthew 27, 51. These are more than black and white letters on paper. Then the Bible says in Matthew 27, 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and he adds, and the rocks rent. We have today what's called a Richter scale. And when there is a, an earthquake, uh, that Richter scale will measure the tremblers or the shaking and tell us how bad it is. Unless that number is pretty high, there are no rocks that would fall or buildings that would fall. But the Bible says this earthquake that took place at the time of the crucifixion, uh, the Bible said it was so strong that the rocks tore or the rocks began to break. No wonder the earth quaked. Jesus, the Father's Son, was dying in our stead on Calvary. It was not confined to Judea. This earthquake was felt in other countries and even mentioned by Roman writers. Matthew 27, 51, the rocks rent. The rending of the rocks tell us this earthquake was big. In addition to the darkness that fell on the outside, in addition to the veil that rent and twain from top to the bottom on the inside of the temple, now the ground begins to shake and the rocks begin to move. The prophet Haggai had prophesied in Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 7, the prophet said, as he gave the message of God, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea 
and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we escape. If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised it, saying, Yet once more will I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now let me have your attention again. The earthquake was not as obvious as announcement of a new dispensation as the rent veil. Remember, there was an earthquake when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 18, 19, and 20. We have here two dispensations that are being ushered in. The one of law and then the earthquakes as the sun representing all of heaven, God in flesh as he dies on the cross of Calvary. The dispensation of grace. Now don't misunderstand me to think that there are different plans of salvation. But there was different revelations of Christ. Anybody who has ever been saved, Hebrews chapter 11 was saved. How? By faith. By faith. We understand that. But God said things are changing now. The Christ that was promised has come. And this is he. The great lesson from this earthquake also had to do with a representation of judgment on sin. Just as scripture tells us that darkness represents judgment, so do earthquakes. Back to the prophet Amos in chapter 8. Shall not the land tremble for this? And everyone mourn that dwelleth therein. And it shall rise up holy as a flood. And it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord that I will cause the sun to go down at noon and I will darken the earth in the clear day. Those crazy people that believed the law, those crazy people that believed the prophets, like you and I that believe the Bible, the crazy people that believe God's in control, us crazy people that have faith in, I'll just go ahead and say it, God and guns in the Bible, Huh? Us crazy people that believe this. Friend, I want to tell you something. They're going to be in big surprise because God isn't finished. And just as I read these miracles that took place on the day when his son was crucified to pay for our sin, just as accompanied the day when the law was given, that special day when the announcement came to Mary, that special day when Jesus was born, that special day when Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified on the cross of Calvary, there's coming yet another special day to say, I want you to know, as I was, I am still in control. I say to you today, as the prophets of old said, as the gospel writers that said, as the Lord Jesus said, as Paul and those who wrote in the days of the early New Testament church have faith in God, God 
is in control. There's another miracle. All of this taking place within 72 hours. Chapter 27, verse 51. The veil of the temple was rent in twain. The earth did quake and the rocks rent. Look at verse 52. And the graves were open. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And I believe this event is mentioned here, though it did not happen for three days. It is mentioned here because this is the power of the resurrection that's dying on the cross of Calvary. Jesus said, destroy this and I'll build it back in three days. And they said, well, Lord, you know how many years it took us to build the temple? Jesus said, you missed the whole thing. I'm not talking about the temple. I'm talking about me. I'm the savior of the world. Caiaphas said he was an imposter. I wonder what he thought he was as he was standing beside that big veil. And that all of a sudden, uh, there is darkness on the outside. The veil is rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the ground begins to shake until the, until the rocks are torn or the rocks are rent. Now it's three days later. It's mentioned here because he said, I want you to know this is the power of the resurrection that's dying on the cross. And I'm telling you now because in three days he's coming out of the grave and just to show you what's going to happen in days and time to come there were other saints that arose. You know the Bible says folks that they had buried they're walking through Jerusalem. You can imagine how nervous and attention I mean it was dark for three hours nobody can explain it. Things have been shaken up. Word is out that the veil in the temple is rent in twain and nobody has died from seeing the Holy of Holies. And then he sees Bill walking down the street and Mary walking down the street and George, he said, you look just like a fellow we had a funeral for two weeks ago. He said, that was me. He said, I've been in heaven two weeks. I just came back to testify. When Jesus when Jesus raised from the grave, he just the first fruits. And folks, I want to tell you something. When the trumpet sounds, and it could be today. You say, oh, you're exaggerating. No, I'm telling you what the Bible says. When the trumpet sounds, we're going to go up in the air and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I don't know why. Six feet farther to go, I don't know why. But, but, but they're going to meet us in the air. Now I'm telling you what happened at crucifixion. I'm telling you what happened when Jesus rose from the grave. All of this in a 72 hour period. There was a disinternment from the graves. Now it wouldn't be necessary to open the graves or the sepulchers for those resurrected bodies to come out of the tomb. But opening, opening them made it possible for others to go in. George, I don't believe it. I, I think you're somebody else. I'm going to go to your burial place. And he goes over there and rocks out and George is gone. Many bodies of the saints which slept arose. By the way, it was the saints that rose, not the sinner. Specifically stated, it was the saints that arose. Now hear me well. When you trusted Christ as Savior, you received eternal life. 
Therefore, you cannot die. You can only change address. You can depart from this life to that life, but you can't die. When the saints arose from the grave, dear friend, it was a picture of the fact of those that have eternal life. You say, what about the, between the time of burial and resurrection? Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hey, the saints are alive forevermore. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You worried about what's going on in our country? You look at that crowd in Washington and say, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know exactly when or how, but I know what's going to happen. I just go ahead and stay on the winning side. You're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior. You ought to trust him as Savior today. Just simply receive the gift of eternal life. Realize that our sins separated us from God, but Calvary paid the redemption price that we might have eternal life in Christ. Stand with me, if you will. Let's all trust that God is in control. He always has been in control. As you went through the ages of history, God proved again and again, I'm in control. Don't lose faith now. Don't lose hope now. Now, according to the Bible, and this is not intended to be a prophecy message, but according to the Bible, this world is going to choose an antichrist. He's going to be a world leader that's going to promise peace to the world. And just like in this day, the church and the state's going to join together. You foolish people that believe the Bible, you're not going to be in the in crowd. I don't want to be in the in crowd. I'm in the up crowd. I'm going up. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for the crucifixion that you died on the cross to pay for our sins thank you for these four amazing miracles that took place to get the attention not only of those alive in that hour Lord how it rests our attention today realizing that our nation and our world is ready not only for the choosing of the antichrist our world is ready for the coming of Christ and as the world travaileth, I pray, Lord, that your coming would be soon. If there are those here today that have not received you as Savior, I pray that today they would put their faith and trust in you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation time. The altar is going to be open. There'll be Christians that will come to the altar and pray. There'll be decisions made. I would invite you to come and let a man or a lady take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure heaven is your home. Lord, bless in our invitation. Amen. As he